Um, if you will, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, it's 11.32 in the uh, ESV Pew Bible in front of you. First Corinthians 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, a doctor, a lawyer, a minister, and a young boy were all on an afternoon flight on a small plane. And all of a sudden, the plane developed engine trouble. And in spite of the best efforts of the pilot, the plane started to go down. Finally, the pilot grabbed a parachute and he yelled to the passengers that they had better jump out because this plane's going down. And unfortunately, there were only three other parachutes after the pilot had jumped. So the doctor grabbed one and he said, I am a doctor. I save lives. I am jumping out. He jumps out of the plane. 
The lawyer grabs a parachute and says, I am a lawyer. Lawyers are the wisest people on earth. And he jumped out of the plane. The minister looked at the young boy and he said, My son, I have lived a long and full life. You are young and you have your whole life ahead of you. Take the last parachute and live in peace. And the little boy handed the parachute back to the, pa- to the minister and said, Not to worry, Pastor. The wisest man in the world just took my backpack. I live in a neighborhood full of lawyers, so I'm just... It wasn't supposed to be a lawyer joke, though it was. But the question for us this morning is, how do you acquire wisdom? How does a person acquire wisdom? Albert Einstein said of wisdom, Wisdom is not a product of schooling, but of the lifelong attempt to acquire it. Napoleon Bonaparte said of wisdom, The truest wisdom is a resolute determination. Sounds like something Napoleon would say. Oprah Winfrey said of wisdom, Follow your instincts. That's where true wisdom manifests itself. As as Oprah would say. Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is is the beginning of wisdom. Paul says, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. By what means do we receive or or gain wisdom? And what does it have to do with unity, our, our theme throughout this series? That's what we are setting out to answer this morning. Uh, Our two earlier sermons in this series, and by divine providence, R.T. Kendall's sermon last week, which I had no idea what he was teaching on, and I asked him, he said, I'm looking at James 1.5 and wisdom, and I thought, wow, that's definitely providential. But we have been looking at this issue of wisdom and foolishness, and we've been looking at power and weakness. Excuse me, weakness. We've we've looked at worldly wisdom. We have we have looked at biblical wisdom. Paul tells the Corinthians, Christ Jesus is the wisdom of God and the power of God. But as he hears about this church in Corinth, he he hears about division, he hears about poor treatment of one another, he hears of groupings, he hears of sects and, and, and factions that are forming. And so he tells them that, hey, this is wrong. This is wrong. That that this is what importing worldly wisdom will do to a church. When we have a me-first attitude, when we are loveless. And Paul finishes this section that that we've looked at two weeks ago uh, from that point by going over his own preaching ministry to him. And he says, verse 1, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. It's a bit of repetition of what we heard from chapter 1. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
Again, we've, we've heard this over and over again from Paul. Paul's saying, I purposefully did not come to you with, with the wisdom of man, with, with eloquent words. And like we said, Paul could have used eloquent words. He could have attempted to, to make it sound wise from man's standpoint. But he purposefully does not do those things so that they won't be wowed with the brilliance of Paul. Instead, I came to you with words and ideas and concepts that the world would call foolish. God dying to save wretched people was against what the Jews would believe. It goes against what the Greeks believed. A stumbling block and folly. But these Corinthians believed it. And in their believing it, they were united to Christ. Foolish to the world, weak to the world, but the power and wisdom of God. And he goes further to say, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What does that mean? If one of them were to ask Paul directions to the lavatory, would he say, I don't know. I know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Well, you're no help. George Whitfield on preaching on this verse. This is a longer quote, so stay with me, but this is, it should hold you in because Whitfield was very good at that. Here's his words. Some may please themselves in knowing the world. Others boast in themselves in the knowledge of many languages. Yet without the experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, it would profit us nothing. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There is now no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved but that of Jesus Christ. We might as well think to rebuild the Tower of Babel or reach heaven with our hands as to imagine that we could enter in by any other door than that of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Other knowledge may make you wise in your own eyes and puff you up, but this alone edifies and makes wise unto salvation. As the meanest Christian, if he knows but this though he know nothing else, will be accepted. So the greatest master in Israel, the most letter-learned teacher, without this, will be rejected. His philosophy is mere nonsense. His wisdom, mere foolishness in the sight of God. End quote. Paul made Jesus Christ and Him crucified his primary message, his only message. Paul put the gospel forth as the, the message of hope and salvation. Paul staked everything on this. For him to preach another gospel would be a false gospel and would leave people in their sin and on a trajectory towards eternal death. If you are going to preach something, decide to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you are going to know something, Decide to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Thinking about this this morning, I thought, what if, what if people who profess to be Christians actually did this? 
How transformative would this be in our culture, in our society, around the world? But instead, we fight with one another, and we, 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 we brag about our knowledge about other topics and other things. And we see when we, when we bring that line of thinking in, that it essentially gets us nowhere, and all it does is lead to division. And yet, sometimes we have so much blindness, we don't even see that we're causing problems. We can't get out of our own way. Verse 3, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling in my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not be in the wisdom of man, but be in the power of God. Paul was not a, a big, strong man. He wasn't handsome. He wasn't rugged. He was weak. He, he had suffered beatings many times. He had been beaten with rods. He had been stoned nearly to stoned so badly that they thought he had died, and they left, and then he got up and walked off. He had poor eyesight. He is the exact opposite of what people were looking for in a leader. It's what these factions were doing in Corinth, picking who they thought the best leader was based on their external appearance or, or, or their use of language. But Paul says, those things draw you to the person. They draw you to the personality. But it is the message that should draw you. John Stott once visited Australia, and after lecturing for quite a while, he was starting to lose his voice. And on the last night, this is the last night of his speaking series, and he thought, I might have someone else speak because I'm really, my voice is, is pretty much gone. But he decided, I'm going to pray that the Lord would give me relief and, and strength, and, uh, and I'm going to press on. He woke up in the morning, and his voice was still gone, and he just got up, and he, uh, he croaked out the gospel. And he was really devastated by the fact that he didn't regain his voice, and he got back on the airplane and flew back to England. And several years later, he returned to Australia for another visit. And when he was there, there were some young people that came up to him, and they said, we were there that night that you croaked out the gospel. And God used that message to drop the scales from our eyes and put our faith in Christ. And there he was, <laughs> remembering that it's not the power and the ability of the instrument We don't go up to the drum set and say, good job, drum set. Thank you for teaching us that new song. No, it was Chase who introduced a new song and, and played the drums. You don't go up and compliment the instrument. It's the one through whom the instrument was being played that we give thanks and we praise. Now, on the flip side of this, think of the pastors that we've heard in the news in recent years who have been abusive, abusive to their staffs, abusive to their congregants, 
who have been removed from their pulpits, who have had a rise and a fall. If you don't pick up on that, what was at the core of those particular situations? Often it was that those preachers and pastors no longer came professing to know nothing but Christ in Him crucified. Often it was that they no longer came in weakness and fear and much trembling, but rather putting on a display of their own wisdom and power and not the wisdom and the power of God. Paul adds this new element here, and it's going to transition us for the rest of the sermon. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time. He says, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Again, that that God died to save the weak, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And then Paul spends the rest of chapter 2 speaking of the Holy Spirit, and so I will do likewise. I think that would be smart. And there's three points for us this morning. First, God's wisdom is not recognized by the world. God's wisdom is not recognized by the world. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Who are the mature? Is it a sort of small subset of the church? Well, the mature sit here and the immature (laughs) sit in other places. No, 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 no. That would be ridiculous. In fact, it's ridiculous because this is actually what the Corinthians were saying about themselves. We are the wise. We are the mature. We are the perfect. We follow the right leader. We were baptized by the right guy. What he's about to get into is that the mature are those who have the Holy Spirit. Those who are in Christ. Those who are, to use his language, being saved. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So it's, it's not the wisdom of man. It's not the wisdom of the world, which he has just put down. Because what the wisdom of the age and the rulers of this age, what, what will they accomplish? Nothing. You could, you could build great monuments and towers and, and conquer you know, vast territories for what? For what? To live in eternal separation from God in isolation? And because they lack the wisdom of God, in this case, the Spirit of God, they are doomed to pass away. But, Paul says, we impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God, one that God decreed before the ages for our glory. It was for us. Oh, secret, hidden wisdom? I want that. You, you could write a book about that. You could call it the secret. You could make millions of dollars and you could swindle every single person because there is no wisdom nor is there any power in any of those words. 
People are always drawn to hidden and secret things, aren't they? Hey, I just discovered the, the, the secret key to health and wealth and, and happiness. Just send me your social security number and your bank details, and you'll be on your way to utopia and euphoria. That's not what Paul is doing here. The secret and hidden wisdom of God, that's the riches of the gospel that were hidden during the Old Testament period. But they are now revealed by the Holy Spirit to those who have the Spirit. That God took on flesh in the second person of the Trinity, that he ushered in his kingdom over the kingdom of this world while being put to death by the enemies of God. He was simultaneously reigning. That was the spiritual reality. But what did the rulers of the age see? They saw a man who was having some sort of a small revolt. And, and, and that his group was squashed by, by the powers that were at their disposal. They, they had him put to death. But what they thought would stop the movement was actually what inaugurated it. You see, Paul is saying if the rulers of the age had understood all of this, if they had recognized Christ, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. In 1549, King Edward VI went into hiding during a rebellion over land rights in England. And when the location that he was hiding in was captured, the, the leader of the rebellion discovered that one of the captured was none other than the king himself. Once he recognized who he was, they released him, and they gave him safe passage back to London. The identity of the king was recognized by the ruler of the rebellion. The identity of the Son of Man was unrecognized by the rulers of the age. And he was killed. And why was he unrecognized? Because the rulers of the age, well, it's a complicated answer, but one of the main answers is that the rulers of the age did not have the revealing work of the Spirit in them. Does that mean that they are not held accountable? No, for the Jews had Moses and the prophets testifying to Jesus. So the Pharisees should have seen this. The Sadducees should have seen this. But they ignored him. They ignored the words of Christ. Pilate was told by Jesus himself who he was. But he refused to believe him. From a worldly perspective, these rulers look like they had wisdom, right? They have authority. They have power. It's been given to them. You would assume that they have some wisdom to be able to get into those positions, though debatable in our time and age. But when they crucified the Lord of glory, they showed that they did not have the wisdom of God. And this is the blow to the Corinthians that Paul is leveling. Why? He's showing them that when they pursue the wisdom of the world, they pursue the same wisdom that crucified their Lord. Just let that sit in for a minute. When we import worldly wisdom into the church, into our families, into our lives, 
We are bringing in the wisdom that crucified Jesus. Paul refers to Jesus as the the Lord of glory here because he possesses glory and he's able to give it to those who believe in him. But the Corinthians are looking for glory through the leaders that they're associated with. And that glory will never come apart from Christ. If you were to look across the world landscape of geopolitics, of philosophies, of economics, would you say that the world is unified or divided? If you were to look across the American landscape of politics, of philosophy, of economics, of of ideas, of strategies, would you say that America is united or divided? Even if there was some unity and some agreement for a period of time, it's always short-lived. You could bring this down into the family unit. There is total disunity, fragmentation, and chaos Because God's wisdom is not recognized by the world. The last time the whole world was unified, they built a tower uh, to celebrate their own ingenuity and ability. And God knocked it over and then confused the nations with different languages. But the day will come and is coming when the nations will be reunited not in totality, not every single person, and not in pride, but in unity under the banner of Christ. When people from every nation and people group and language will be united in bending the knee and recognizing the true king and ruler of all, held together by the Spirit of God. God's wisdom is not recognized by the world. Second, God's wisdom is known and made known only by the Holy Spirit. Paul then quotes from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, with elements of other parts of Isaiah and Jeremiah chapter 3. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. He's pointing out, that the prophets occasionally indicated that, that God's wise plan remained hidden from all but those who loved him. The, the, the ordinary ways of understanding something, the, the eye, the ear, the mind, cannot perceive the mysteries of God. The rulers of the world are often excellent at using the eye and the ear and the mind to perceive to learn, to use to their advantage, to make wise decisions. But these senses cannot discern the wisdom of God. God himself must reveal wisdom in a special way. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Who is the us here that Paul's talking about? Well, I think it's Paul and Sosthenes who is who's writing the letter. If, if you want to know about Corinth and Sosthenes, go and read Acts chapter 18, 
where the Jews bring Paul before a tribunal and one of the Greek proconsuls tells them that he can't do anything with Paul. And so what do the Jews do? The Jews take Sosthenes, who's the head of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the Greek proconsul, who essentially does nothing because he doesn't care about this. It's just a little minor territorial skirmish and an issue with a guy who seems to be causing some problems. Because the Greek proconsul doesn't have the Spirit of God. He doesn't realize what's happening here. But what Paul is saying here is that God has revealed himself to Sosthenes, to to Apollos, to, to Paul, to Peter, the apostles, that the world has no wisdom to offer the church. The foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. The weakness of God is stronger than the strength of man, than the power of man. But it seems that this has not been understood by the Corinthians. Paul's point is that God imparts true wisdom to the mature. He wants the Corinthians to know and to recognize the wisdom of the Spirit and that the wisdom to be displayed in their actions, which will make them instruments of peace and make them instruments of unity and not the chaos and confusion and the the sex and the and this fracturing that he's hearing about. They're not appropriating the work of the Spirit in their church, in their lives, in their homes. They're operating out of the flesh. Paul says, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Nothing is hidden from the Spirit of God. He shares in that divine attribute of omniscience, all-knowing. And through an infinite number of things, God will, 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 will always remain hidden from mankind. But even those things that are hidden from us, they are evident to the Holy Spirit. And so for this reason, He is the reliable source of all human insight into the wisdom of God. None of this insight comes through human wisdom, which the Corinthians boasted, and over which they divided, and so their fights and their divisions are unjustified. And so to illustrate this point, Paul gives an example. For no one knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. I think that's a fairly simple understanding, right? You can't get inside someone else's head. You might be able to pick up on a few clues, but all you're going to be doing is guessing, and you could be wrong. I remember running into a friend of mine, and he was very curt with me. It was sort of cold, and so now my mind is racing because I care for my friend. And I'm beginning to think, did I say something? Did I do something? How did our last conversation go? Was I, was I supposed to call him? You know, now, my, again, my mind is racing. All I'm trying to do is put together a complicated puzzle, and I don't even have all the pieces Well, it turned out that it wasn't even about me. Imagine that. world doesn't revolve around me. The point being, we don't know what's going on in the mind of another person. We don't know what's going on in the heart of another person. Only that person knows. 
We don't know the mind of God, but the Spirit does, and He alone can reveal the wisdom of God to us. The Corinthians were beginning to think wisdom from the world could be used in the church, but we see where that was getting them. Paul says, get in line with the Spirit. Get in line with the Spirit, and then you will have godly wisdom. And not only will you have godly wisdom, but you will have unity with one another. And I wouldn't have to write all these letters. Verse 12. I know this is a lot of theology. Even as I was reading it, I realized this can be very dense, but stay with me, okay? It'll pay off it in the long run, in the short run, in all the runs you do. Verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The Spirit of the world is not going to tell you about Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and Him crucified. Or if it does, it's not going to tell you rightly about Him and just go watch any Jesus movie out there, pretty much. The Spirit, I should be careful, there are probably some good ones out there. The spirit of the world will not tell you about the grace of God. The spirit of the world will not help you understand the things freely given us by God. Only the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, can do this. And he is given to all who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, come to rescue and save and make right sinful man with righteous God. Uh, a friend of mine many years ago received an iPod, the first generation iPod. And he opened it up and he pulled it out and he was like, Great, what is this thing? This little white square. And his dad kept saying, No, 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 it's, this is like, this is going to like change the world. <laughs> you can throw all your CDs away because you can put all your music in this thing, right? My friend gets a gift, right? But he doesn't understand what it is, how it works. Someone has to come in and say, this is a gift you have received, and it is of almost immeasurable value, right? And this is how it works, and, and flipping it on, and oh, okay, this is what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit comes and says, you have been given a gift, you have been given the Son of God, righteous, holy, perfect, and He loves you so much that He died on a cross to forgive you of your, your tragic sin that keeps you separated from God. But, but He doesn't just do that, and I know there was some complication over RT's teaching on the Spirit with the dove flying away. The, the, the Spirit never actually leaves us. I think that was just His illustration of us grieving the Spirit, that He's sensitive. But once you have put your faith and trust, even a meager faith and trust in Christ, that Spirit is in you, that Holy Spirit is in you, and He's revealing these truths to you, and He's urging you to Go to Scripture, to go to church, to be in fellowship, to be in communion with people who are going to encourage you, equip you, strengthen you, challenge you. He's going to open up the Word to you and, and, and help you see things you didn't see before and understand concepts you didn't understand before. 
But my goodness, we can stifle him. My goodness, we can put him in a box and we can silence him and push him and push him and push him away. God's wisdom is not recognized by the world. God's wisdom is made known and known only by the Holy Spirit. Goodness, we're late. Finally, God's wisdom is received by those with His Spirit and rejected by those without. Verse 13. We'll try and go quickly here. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. It's the Spirit who taught the apostles. It's the Spirit in the teaching. It's the Spirit in the interpreting and the understanding. He's at the beginning, He's at the middle, and He's at the end. He is throughout all of this. And yet somehow He's the forgotten member of the Trinity. It has to be the Holy Spirit who gives the ability to understand and believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the message itself is supernatural. I cannot reason my way to Christ. I cannot reason my way to salvation. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. And because the Corinthians were getting away from that, because they were wanting to elevate reason and human wisdom... It was no longer a spiritual thing to them. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. People without the Spirit are impaired in their ability to understand and accept the instructions of the Spirit because their orientation in life is contrary to the Spirit. It's like trying to crack a code without your decoder ring. You can't understand spiritual things because you don't have the Spirit. I mean, it's a very simple concept. And yet, if you don't have the Spirit, it doesn't make sense to you. <laughs> this is... Anyway. Paul is giving them this perspective on unbelievers. This is not to create us and them like... Yuck. to prepare the Corinthian readers for a point that he was about to make. They did have the Spirit in their lives because they were believers. They are believers. But they still had to evaluate whether or not they depended on the Spirit. They had to reassess their own habit of turning from the Spirit and towards the false wisdom of the world. Brothers and sisters, we've got to do this more often in our daily lives. We are given the Holy Spirit at that point of faith, belief. He's given to us. He helps us to see Christ. He helps us to understand these things. But that doesn't mean that He rules our life. Did you hear that? He doesn't rule our life in the sense that we're uh, uh, without any free choice. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying here? We will still make choices between flesh and spirit. This is what I mean. Paul lines this out in Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
for they are opposed to each other. And yet we walk this out every single day. This is our lives, choosing between spirit and flesh. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In contrast to the unspiritual person, the spiritual person is able to make proper judgments. Spiritual people are those who are under the influence of the Holy Spirit's power. They can see matters rightly. Paul says, spiritual people make judgments about all things, meaning all kinds of things. What to wear, what to watch, what to read, how to raise your children, how they behave in public, what the worldview is. If you are in Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit then you have the wisdom of God available to you. And the wisdom of the world is not able to critique and criticize that. And so we shouldn't be ashamed of what the world says. We shouldn't be influenced by what the world says. And that's what's happening in Corinth. The world starts to criticize them that this is foolish and powerless and weak. And in response to that, they said, well, you know, we have our factions like you have your factions, and it starts to look like the, the rest of Corinth. They're importing that worldly wisdom, and that is the point that Christians deserve severe criticism when we fail to live consistently with the wisdom of the Spirit, when we are out of step with the Spirit of God. And so Paul quotes Isaiah to make his point. Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The world may say to the church, you need to change the way that you do things. The world may say, you need to talk less about Jesus and him crucified and more about fill in the blank, social issues or politics or whatever. The world may say, you need to keep those godless kids out of your youth program and not welcome them in and not teach them. The world will tell you and the world will tell the church what it thinks. But who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? So the church and the Christian person and the Christian family need not submit to what the world says but needs to listen to the Spirit of God. And when you listen to the Spirit of God, you have the mind of Christ. Listen to the Spirit of God, and you will have the mind of Christ. Most of you stood up two weeks ago when we were talking about being united in Christ. And we could do the exact same thing today about the Holy Spirit. But the question now is, are we appropriating the Spirit? Are we listening to Him? He's urging us to be in the Word, to decide to know nothing but Christ Jesus and Him crucified. And He's holding us together. But what will we do? Will we go with the Spirit? Will we choose the flesh? Are we trying to do it on our own? Do you see yourselves as mature? Einstein, Napoleon, Oprah, they all have views of what wisdom are. This is true wisdom. 
Let us have the mind of Christ. Let us listen to his spirit. Let's pray. Father, I know there's an abundance of words here. But my prayer is that the point has been made clear. You have poured out your Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And your Holy Spirit indwells each and every believer. So how could we look disunified and and disjointed to the outside world when we have the same Spirit inside of us? So, Father, our prayer is that you would, as we just sang not too long ago, that you would give us more of who you are. That you give us the desires of our hearts and that our hearts would desire the wisdom and power of God, which is your Holy Spirit. Unity under the banner of Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord. Father, that we would evaluate ourselves daily. Are we chasing the flesh? Or are we chasing the Spirit? For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.